She my white horse, she my medical She like my baby mama, know how to take care of me Give my baby problems, you gon' regret everything So I let her know, gotta let her know Came through the front door, I'll be ready for her. And if it's what you want, I'ma give it to you Yeah, promise, I'ma give it to you Miss that smile Lord knows I ain't seen that in a while But it's your style So something must be up keeping you down You a queen that must be heaven sent Pray my soul I must repent For not telling you what I meant and how I felt Honestly I'm used to throwing wishes in a well My conscience tells me that I could have helped without fail Actions speak louder than words And that's a lesson that I learned all by myself Let him know, I gotta let him know That she my white horse, she my She like my baby mama, know how to take care of me Give my baby problems, you gon' regret everything So I let her know, gotta let her know Came through the front door, I'll be ready for her And if it's what you want, I'ma give it to you Yeah, promise, I'ma give it to you Stresses all around us, these high ceilings And I need a baby, pressure and make diamonds I won't steal a baby, silent baby Hurts to see you crying, know you trying Ain't no lying baby, when I say I need you Greedy if I have to share you It was me that all along did you wrong Thinking that I made you beautiful and strong This toxicity, the death of me I fear the day you gone The most beautiful girl I've ever known Don't performance podcast interesting lyrics in that song maybe i should listen to songs before i put them in and not just listen to the first 10 seconds of the beat and see if they're okay but anyway i've got a chance to listen to it and staying in now um <clears throat> today, today i am joined by the man called sonny brown um, in this episode of media's performance podcast i talked to sonny brown about his mixed martial arts record um here in australia before he turned his attention towards coaching and becoming a high school teacher. Sonny is very active in coaching um, recreational athletes, hobbyists, whatever you want to call them, um, and aspiring professional fighters. He is also somewhat of a uh, kind of a hybrid of a philosopher, coach, teacher, um, 
cultural commentary as we have in this episode. Um, Sonny is a very interesting guy. I really enjoy talking to Sonny as I always do. Uh, in this episode, we talk um, about a lot of things martial arts related. And if you enjoy Sonny's work, or I'd urge you to go and even have a look at, even from an athletic perspective, on the Sonny Brown breakdown. Um, which we discussed in this episode as well. Sonny has some really well done videos, animations, um, and a great podcast called The Sonny Brown Breakdown, where he discusses martial arts, philosophy, and so on. So um, definitely worth checking out. Um, the last few episodes have been predominantly lots of sporting people and lots of people around MMA and Jiu-Jitsu. This is not the direction of the podcast, in case anybody is wondering. It's just been opportunistic about the type of guests that we have. At, the, at a certain time, you will see some diversity in the guests um, coming up in the next few episodes, which I'm hoping to release next week. At the moment, we're at the 20th of November, so I'm releasing this episode. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode. If you are enjoying the Media's Performance Podcast, please, we would appreciate a review on iTunes, um, written reviews, some stars there. If you got any feedback, please email me at ian.dunigan at meliasconsulting.com.au. And head over to meliasconsulting.com.au to find out more about what we do. Uh, we will have some new products we're launching soon, possibly in the next two weeks, which I'll um, give a bit of an overview on shortly as well. Anyway, enough of this. Into the episode. Cheers. Okay, we'll go. Bye. Oh, just one second. There's my neighbors are doing stuff outside, so if it gets loud, just let me know and I'll mute it when I can on my end. But so far, it seems fine. That's okay. I got a building site next door. I just moved That's, into a new house, and someone's building yeah. a house next door. So as soon as okay. we start, somebody yep. will start drilling. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So we're all there with a drill poised, and then he's speaking. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Anyway, five, four, three, two, one. I'm going to do my best Sonny Brown impression. <laughs> it's time to break it down with Sonny Brown's Breakdown. <laughs> oh, what's that? What's that rubbish, eh? <laughs> what's that? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm joined today by the one and only Sonny Brown. Sonny, how are you doing? Good, thanks, mate. How are you? Good. Sonny, um, who does your introduction for your podcast? Is that actually just your voice or somebody else has done it? Because it no, sounds that- very like you. It's well, you know, we got on like House on Fire, me and Nathan Breen, the the gentleman who did that. I was just a uni friend, and we actually did like I don't know. He's just got that voice. He can put that announcer, that sports announcer voice on. So when it came time to think of, oh, I need someone to record an intro, and it's a bit, you know, you got to have someone else say it, right? You can't, you can't say your name yourself with that kind of, uh, you know, tenor to it. So I had him do it, and it just uh, and it worked. Well, Sonny, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but I actually thought that was you doing an impression <laughs> of myself. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was you doing it with a silly voice. No, no, but you know, it was very, very similar. <laughs> so, if anybody doesn't know who Sonny Brown is, Sonny Brown is an enigma, but we're going to try and unpack that enigma today. <laughs> and we're going to work back. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? I didn't know what I <laughs> this, is, this is an intervention, Sonny. Um, <laughs> We're going to work back from a few things, but I'm going to start with a, with a story first, as I like to do in the podcast. When I first met Sonny, uh, it was in Canberra, and I think it was in, would it have been 2017? 
Yeah, yeah. Or 16? Yeah, sounds maybe about seven, right. Maybe 17? Say 17. 17 in Canberra, our nation's capital, the Washington, D.C. of uh, America, the Dublin of Ireland. Um, I met Sonny uh, around June, and Sonny was wearing a trench coat and a pair of noise-canceling headphones. Mm-hmm. He was one of the older people in the room. I think I was the oldest person in the room at about 38, 39. Sonny was a close second. And Sonny was sitting there grinning like a Cheshire cat, like he'd smoked 20 bongs, sitting in the corner um, with 20 other grapplers, MMA fighters all sitting in the room. Sonny sat in the back with a wry smile on his face looking around as people got up and introduced himself. One particular guy got up and introduced himself and said, my name is, I won't say his name, and I like to go hard. On which Sonny burst out laughing in the convulsions of laughter, as did I. He was the youngest guy in the room, and that's the first time I met Sonny. And I thought, right, this is going to be an interesting 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> I, still, I still crack up thinking about that guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few guys on that, on, on, that, on, that, on that study that I crack up thinking about. So yeah. I, met, I met Sonny when Sonny was a participant um, in a weight cutting study that Reed Real was running, and Reed was on the podcast recently. And um, obviously, we were doing some stuff on sleep there as well. So Sonny was one of the participants. We had 22 um, sort of high-level grapplers in that study, and that's that's how I met Sonny on that on that course or that um, course that that um, particular research study. Mm-hmm. So Sonny, for people who don't know you, um, you have a very successful, um, I suppose, platform now called the Sonny Brown Breakdown. You have about seventeen thousand followers on Instagram. You got about twenty thousand subscribers on YouTube. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what the actual Sonny Brown breakdown is? I still, I'm not sure. You know, I'm You're really not sure. figuring it out as I go along, mate. <laughs> We're doing pretty my, well for someone who's just figured out what you're going along. You got, I, need, <laughs> I need my elevator pitch sorted, I think. Well, the, 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 there's no need for an elevator pitch. You have, you have enough time here to, yeah. to uh, as, as the business people would say, unpack it. So unpack oh, yes. It there, Sonny. Let's, let's unpack. Let's yeah. unpack. Well, I mean, I, I, look. It's, I have my obsession with martial arts that I would certainly classify as an obsession when I'm spending now all my nights thinking about Scarfold and Kesagatami and how slight changes in body angle could possibly make it more secure. And it's to me, it's a way to kind of spend that time being creative, being creative and expressing it in a way that's maybe not just me in a room with a bunch of old martial arts books not leaving <laughs> and you know putting putting something out there that's helpful so i guess in terms of more practical nature um, i've started interviewing people on the the podcast with the goal of kind of focusing in on the area of teaching how they teach martial arts teaching and learning uh to give it kind of a a a unique kind of understanding. I was kind of sick of listening to podcasts that just turn into anything really on current events. So I'd say that's a good guide is I'm kind of looking for things that won't be dated by the time that the conversation's finished. Um, and that kind of gives me, that's kind of guiding it to make it, you know, somewhat of a lasting information that I'm looking to, to get out of people. And then, yeah, just putting it out there and people seem to have, like people have responded well to it. The The podcast seems to have had somewhat of a bigger impact. I mean, the YouTube channel is was been going for longer and, you know, more coverage. 
but for whatever reason, the the podcast people seem to to respond more to me. I guess on that, I guess there's probably a lot more people watching the YouTube channel who are just thinking this is just some anonymous video editor yeah, putting yeah. it together. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's just all been it's all been going well, and I just like doing it, so I'll keep keep, keep doing away. it. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. For me, like when I watch your videos or I watch, uh, follow you on Instagram and see some of your little small clips or little animations or mm. little sayings, you seem to, um, I think, you know, if you come to Sonny Brown's breakdown for as a hardcore MMA fan, you're going to get something out of it. But if you come to your, your content as a true martial artist, you're going to get a lot more out of it, I find. And the reason I say that is because I find that with your stuff, it's the intersection between the martial technique, if I want to call it that, the actual fighting form, uh, philosophy as well, which, you know, will be on the underpinning philosophy of martial arts and, and other sort of philosophical systems. Um, also education as well, which then results in the application of those, whether it be for mm. in a combat situation or in a day-to-day life situation as well. I find that a lot of stuff you put up, you know, is applicable to how you live your life, even if you're not a martial artist. Um, you know, I think is is very is very interesting. And I find as well in today's world where there is lots of MMA fans, and which is great, and it's evolved into a sport. I think we lose sight sometimes of, I think we interchangeably use the words martial artist, fighter, competitor, yeah. athlete, all in the one. And I find yeah. that when I look at your stuff, it's more about the martial arts as opposed to the competitive fighting nature of it. Would that be a fair representation, Sonny? Or- yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that's completely fine. I mean, I'm glad that that's the way it's coming across, to be honest, not just me uh, putting putting random stuff out there. So that's that's good to, good to hear. It's interesting that, you know, with the MMA side of things and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu side of things, I, I noticed very quickly that the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu kind of stuff was doing better on like the podcasting side of things where it's going more in depth because I think most of the, although the MMA audience is bigger, they, the MMA audience doesn't necessarily train and is interested mm-hmm. in like, you know, training and, and teaching and that kind of things. Whereas you won't find any Brazilian jiu-jitsu fans who don't train. There's no, there's no one in turning up at a uh, local competition going, I just love watching the sport, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, and, it, and it's terrible, actually, because it's a, you know, if you have no idea what's going on in jiu-jitsu, it's the most boringest. It's That's terrible. That's shit to watch, really. Yeah. But when you know what's happening, it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, we were actually watching them. Um, a show on Netflix recently called The Queen's Gambit, which is about chess. And oh, obviously, this is you're, you're, very good. Yeah, you're watching. Look, it's a great show, drama wise, but you're watching it and you got, I, not being a chess head, I have no idea what's going on the board. And I'm sure some people would watch chess in the same way and be like, oh my God, if he moves that rook to here and that knight goes there and this could happen and this could happen. That's how I feel like watching Jiu Jitsu. If he puts his hand here, posts up there, puts his foot, oh, look, he's going to roll this way. He's going to go into a heel hook. No, he's going to escape because his foot's not here. He hasn't like anchored this position. Yep. I feel the very same way about Jiu Jitsu. And my wife started jiu-jitsu about, I don't know, three or four years ago. And she's the same as well. She loves watching it as well now. Mm-hmm. Whereas before that, she'd be looking at going, this is just, you know, just absolute mess. crap like to watch. Yep. Yeah, I understand that completely. And I'm, I'm not, not trying to change people's minds at all because that's a hard battle to, to win. To, you know, explain that if the elbow moves two inches to the left, this yeah. guy could, could get it broken. 
Yeah. Or if he just, you know, if he rotates his wrist the opposite way, like a yeah. fraction of a degree and people are like, how could it be like that? Yeah. No, but that, that's, that, that's the beauty about like, um, about jujitsu is that, you know, it is those little micro movements, those things that can, that can make the difference. And yeah. I spoke about this in the podcast recently with Liv Giles and you would attest to the same thing, Sonny, is that you can roll with a guy twice your size, big and strong with no technique. And you can really just control a person with these little mm. micro movements in the gear without the gear. So, you know, it's yeah. a fascinating art, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I, when I was talking about the obsession, like that's the kind of thing that, that still blows me away is that you could be doing a move or a position for so long and realize, Oh, hang on. If I just roll my, you know, roll my wrist this way or move my elbow slightly closer here, all of a sudden it becomes a lot stronger or you yeah. know, a lot more powerful. There's this, you know, improvement that like, was there all along, but you just didn't know it until you just discovered it. And something that's enjoyable about having a hobby that you can do that for forever. Yeah. And it's just, and you're right. It's endless. There's an, there's, mm. it's not like you learn a system and that's it. You have the system down pat. You learn, I think in jujitsu, you learn fundamentals, you learn a philosophical approach to positions. And I think, then it's just endless. It's, you know, it's universes and universes and universes. It's just like, it's at multiple levels to it as well. Yeah. Um, no, Sonny, I don't want to go down a jujitsu rabbit hole because, uh, okay. because we are probably jujitsu heads, probably predominantly, <laughs> we'll end up going down that rabbit hole. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So I want to, I want to jump back in time. So for people mm-hmm. who don't know Sonny, if you look on the great page called Tapology, that's right, <laughs> Tapology, you will find this king known as Sonny Brown. What was your nickname when you were fighting? It wasn't King Brown, was it? No, no, I never, I never settled on one completely. I thought just no, no nickname. You know, the Diaz brothers don't need nicknames, so this kid from the uh, Northern Beaches doesn't need one either. All right, I like the way you're comparing yourself to Nick and Ned Diaz. That's that's a lofty goal there. Well done, son. Pretty lofty, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. pretty lofty. Got to, got to, got to set your sights high. <laughs> and of course, for those who don't know, the Diaz brothers were um, tough. <laughs> there. What would you, well, how would you describe them, man? Crazy Let's motherfuckers. Say, that's what I'd say. Crazy motherfuckers. Yeah. And whereas I'm, when I say the Northern Beaches, it's a pretty, <laughs> not the craziest motherfucker area, I guess, yeah. of Sydney. The beast from Balmoral, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's exactly right. It's actually, we've got some guys actually fighting uh, coming up. And it's one thing I tell them is that no matter where, you know, from where we're based, Sydney's upper North Shore, lower North Shore, doesn't matter who we're matched up against. You'll always be able to say, oh, they're tough there. They're tough there. There's nowhere. There's no, unless we get matched up against someone from like Potts Point or, or like, you know. Prince of Potts Point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're always going to be able to say, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're tougher. They're, they're tougher than they got to breed them tough out there. It's terrible. But, you know, doesn't matter. Eh? It's all just smoke and mirrors. That's all, yeah. So, Sonny, let's 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 uh, look at your topology here. We'll jump back in time because you have a pro MMA record. So people might be sitting there going, "Oh, who's this guy talking about jujitsu and fighting? He's making little videos, all right for him, but he has no no idea." But Sonny, you have a pro MMA record of six and five. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's eleven eleven pro fights. How many amateurs did you have before that? Just a one. Just, Just a, a one amateur. Yeah. All right. So that's a fair few fights. Now, um, what I love about your topology page is that. Uh, no nickname, no date of birth, so you're you're ageless. You fought at welterweight, but I think you compete. It says here your weight class is welterweight, but I think you're a lightweight. Yeah, I had one. I had the last fight at welterweight when I was All like, right. you know what? 
I couldn't be bothered, couldn't wear. <laughs> I was like, I was comparing myself to BJ Penn there at the moment as well. I was like, you know what? He did it. I can. So your, last, your last fight was in July 8th, 2016, in the welterweight division. Mm. Uh, you're affiliated with Lang's MMA. I love That's these right. pages, by the way. Uh, your right. career disclosed earnings, Sonny, is zero dollars. Oh. <laughs> this is my Close favorite to part. Close to it. <laughs> fight now in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia, not Wales, the country. <laughs> now, if I looked, <laughs> if I looked down into your record, Sonny, you have yeah. fought some notable fighters that people who are MMA fans may be aware of. That's Two it. most That's notable what... people that pop out to me is Dan the Hangman Hooker, mm. who you fought back in 2010 um, at, at lightweight in the in Rise MMA, and and you beat Dan in that fight. And you mm-hmm. also then went on to fight Damian Brown, who fought in the UFC as well in 2011. You also beat Damian as well. Two very um, very good fighters and obviously Dan mm. is probably what in the top five yeah, yeah. at the moment for sure so yeah so I'm glad he's went on to great things you know it's like <laughs> it's great <laughs> it really really adds a bit of a you know bit of gravitas to the old record when you when you put that in, into perspective so I think if he becomes the lightweight champion at some stage you should oh. just call him out to make a million or two and just put it into your superannuation <laughs> <laughs> could be the plan look I, I don't know about that but i tell you what my plan is every time he fights is watch it at the pub and just sit myself you know just around a group of people where i can just casually over the shoulder oh yeah that guy yeah i could yeah take him yeah you know just it's a little nonchalant yes you know yeah yeah mate i gotta and well, that's like um that's like, you know, I told uh, Steve Kennedy, who fought in UFC, that I could beat Steve. And he, he, he laughed and I said, well, I could slap him into the face and run at least 100 miles and he wouldn't catch me. So technically I won. <laughs> technically. <laughs> it's different time, but, you know, different rules. Different and he laughed and went, well, I definitely wouldn't fucking catch you. But anyway. <laughs> so, Sonny, you don't, you don't strike me as a guy that will fight MMA. You're not one of these guys that's walking around, you know, full of tattoos, juiced up, yeah. um, you know, 10 cauliflower ears hanging off your head mm-hmm. mad dog and everybody mm-hmm. why did you why did you start fighting like why MMA how, how, what got you into that yeah look it was it was part of it you know I think actually what you're saying is me not looking like a traditional like a stereotypical fighter I'll say not a traditional one it is probably somewhat part of the reason why I ended up doing it but <laughs> you know because I'm like I can do that and like, you know and everyone's like no you couldn't yeah <laughs> I'll prove you wrong but um you know, you're getting into it just from the UFC, obviously watching it, you know, the early days and just lucky enough to have uh, a gym run by Anthony Lang, one of the, you know, earliest MMA fighters in Australia who'd fought in Shudo in Japan. So part of that was luck that, you know, okay, I want to do jujitsu, get into this sport, I'd seen it. And I go to a gym that, you know, has the connections and kind of there was every, you know, previous generations down there had fought and there were people there who were fighting. So after I started training for a bit, it was kind of the natural progression there to, you know, okay, you know, want to have a fight and, and sure, why not? Let's do it. And then I won. So that was, that was hooked, you know, but it was, it's a different time then because now there's certainly no expectation that people coming in to do jujitsu would also be wanting to fight MMA. Whereas it was kind of like, I mean, it was probably starting to change when I, when I started, but it was definitely everyone who did jujitsu watched UFC and, you know, had that kind of interest that jujitsu was part of MMA, not just jujitsu as part of jujitsu. So that's a bit of a, bit of a cultural change. 
in the sport. And for me, yeah, once I got into it, definitely something that kept me driven was that that um, it still bugs me now that people will be like, oh, you don't look like a fighter. And I'm like, you know, and I know that like I've got more fights than a lot of these other people, but they have ta- they have a neck tattoo, so they must be, you know, oh, well, clearly that person's the better fighter. He's, he's you know, he's got himself a neck tattoo and a bloody and a pierced whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I've actually, I've got like five times the experience of this person, you know, <laughs> and I reckon I could explain things more eloquently than them as well. So come train with me, you know? Yeah, and I think um, I think it's interesting that you talk about you know looks as well. And obviously, I brought it up at the start because you know you walk into a gym sometimes and you see guys all juiced up, lots of tattoos, looking all gnarly, shaved heads or mohawks, whatever. This is, this doesn't necessarily mean they can fight. It might be tough, yeah. you know. Doesn't yeah. necessarily mean to have the technique. And I think when we talk about MMA, jiu-jitsu, whatever martial art it is, technique is the is the king or the base mm. of the of the hierarchy. So you got to get that right before you can uh, start looking like things um, that's a stereotypical fighter. And I think yeah. we've seen that in many MMA fights over the last couple of years in the UFC since Jeff Nowitzki's come in with you know drug testing and so on. Mm. A lot of fighters' bodies have changed. <laughs> first of all, um, other people haven't changed. Maybe mainly those people who live in Brazil who maybe may not be subject yeah. to testing um, as frequently as others. But we see that like you know. Uh, kind of average jaw looking guys, you know, with mm-hmm. good technique, you know, are winning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, as it, as it should be, you know, the tattoos or tough stickers as they, as we call them, they're not going to add, you know, all that kind of extra, you know, presentation, the, you know, the stripes on a tiger, you might say, mm-hmm. once it gets into, into a, you know, into the, the field of combat, they don't really count for anything uh, unless it's, you know, some carryover of personality into a fighting style where it is, you know, a wild person or someone who's able to put up with a lot of punishment or something, then, you you know, that personality could carry over. But at the end of the day, that's only a, you know, some kind of rough indicator, the te- technique and, and skill ends, usually ends up winning out overall other than just there's always the chance of luck. Before you got into jiu-jitsu, Sonny, and MMA, did you do any martial arts growing up as a kid? Were you, because um, you're a bit older, were you were you in the karate yeah. era? You walking around like I, trying to be Bruce Lee or doing I, Kung Fu? A little bit, uh, but not, I, I didn't, you know, I don't think I ever got graded or something in that, but I went down to the locals, the local school hall for, for a bit and did some, I think it was the Gokan Ryu karate. Though. Well, notably, they came around and door knocked back in the day. Um, so, yeah, it was that was their marketing. So I, don't, I haven't seen them for a while. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, not, not much, not much, maybe, maybe like a couple of months or something. But, uh, yeah, one time the, the up block did, did work in down at Manly, Manly stain that I picked up from there. So you never know. (laughs) It came in handy once. Is that the, the Manly stain, the hotel, the pub? Yes. Yeah. 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 So I I was on a holiday to Australia back in the year 2001 and I think I spent, uh, 29 hour 30 nights in that pub oh really <laughs> yeah my living. friend was my friend was living in uh, manly instead with him so i was in there most nights yeah living I'll the dream spill out onto the corso go to one of those bakeries fall up the road oh right you're, you're a local off we go yeah <laughs> that must have that must have been back in the time when it was still called the drain <laughs> affectionately by the locals it was just <laughs> it's done up now you know it's been uh been modernized I remember ended up in some sort of um, dingy bar. He went down some stairs, like blues bar. What oh, was that called? Bo- boat, boat, boat shed. 
the bloodshed, is it? Like down these little <laughs> stairs. Yeah. I had like little candles on the table. I was like, what the fuck? Oh, man, here. Yeah. In there drinking whiskey at like half two in the morning going, oh. Uh, that's, that's, don't get me don't get me started that's <laughs> i know what was going on. it was all just a blur anyway I've, that was 20 years ago so i've grown up since then <laughs> interesting enough that was the trip that made me want to live in australia maybe oh, it was going to be like that there you go there you go <laughs> so yeah. so so you just did a little bit growing up and um, did, yeah. did you play any sport or were you into so, kind of contact stuff yeah, so definitely. That's like I did lots of uh, like rugby league, rugby uh, rugby league outside of school. In high school, we did rugby union, did like some basketball, cricket, cross country running. Definitely uh, sports mad, and you know, which I now kind of think of as typical, typically Australian that sports kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, upbringing where we just did everything, and yeah, had the you know rugby league, rugby union was the the social the social glue on a weekend that kind of that was what we did you know particularly on New South Wales and Queensland yeah. probably you know those, those sports are more popular than the AFL obviously yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah I, well AFL's done a good job uh, promoting themselves within the youth sports uh, scene very much so in recent years but back when back when I was doing these sports it was non-existent pretty much the idea that you do AFL was like I, I think there was one field that did it somewhere. You know, it was it was not it was not popular at all. So that's how the promotion things can change at a sports at a grassroots level. Yeah, for sure. Do you find Sonny, that the contact sports um, growing up actually, you know, fostered you or promoted you into doing more contact in terms of like MMA, Jiu Jitsu, growing up uh, as you got older, or? Um, was that like a natural ramp? And the reason I asked that is because I see a lot of rugby, ex-rugby players, like contact sport mm-hmm. players starting to go in to MMA, Jiu-Jitsu um, from rugby in the UK yep. or from gridiron, American football in America. Seems to be this kind of natural progression where people go. Yeah, I think for sure it's an advantage, like maybe not technically other than just uh, physical strength and conditioning, but just being used to that, you know, that contact with other people, Um, you know, the non-intimate physical touch of, you know, what's involved in the sport. Because a lot of people aren't used to that. And if they come into the, you know, you see it with beginners, that it takes, you know, there's, there's a discomfort obviously with that at the beginning, right, you know, right, rightly so that they have to get over with. Whereas if you're used to contact sport, not only you over that kind of boundary, but you're now ready to play the rules of the game and use the, use the techniques effectively. Uh, as, as long as, you know, you're not going to get thrown off. If you get hit a little hard, a little rough, you kind of, you, you are, you've kind of gone through a introduction period, I'll say with those other sports for, mixed martial arts yeah i think it's interesting because like i grew up the same playing rugby was in the military you know culturally in ireland you're in lots of fights at school um it's just the way it is and i think mm. then even then going in and i i you know i was graded i was graded to orange belt in karate Oof. and then uh the traditional japanese jiu-jitsu for you know a number of years probably the equivalent like a brown belt just before black belt level um and then kind of you know lost faith in that and went to brazilian jiu-jitsu so mm-hmm. probably cumulatively like you know the guts of 20 years to 25 years over the course of my lifetime involved in in martial arts and then rugby on top of that as well so mm. and even then when i started brazilian jiu-jitsu it was a panic station still yeah after being used to that 
I still felt like I was drowning and couldn't control my breath. It took me months and months to kind of just get comfortable in uncomfortable positions. Mm-hmm. So I really empathize with people who have never been in a fight, even like a childhood kind of scrap. Yeah. Being in a, a grappling, wrestling, contact sports situation, it can be quite daunting for people to walk into a gym and, and do that. And I think, I, think, I think it's really interesting when you go to different places as well, culturally. I know some places kind of, be up newbies and white belt, so to speak. And I don't mean physically mm-hmm. like hit them, but just out grapple them really badly to kind of put them in their place and show them what's what's what, which mm-hmm. can be beneficial for some people. But I think then, you know, I think it's also good then just to be able to control people and help them and support them. And there's yep. times when you have to kind of amp it up because after a few weeks, people think, oh, right, I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to submit them. And then you have to kind of turn it up a level and sort of, you know, gently ease them in. So I do, I do empathize with people coming in to that contact sport it can be quite difficult yeah yeah well i think that's definitely the old school was like this sink or swim type uh way of introducing someone it's and we you know we probably all experienced that where and we were the ones who stuck around kind of but now with you've got i mean pretty much with joe rogan talking about it i would say would probably be one of the biggest influences of people understanding that you can just go do brazilian jiu-jitsu for brazilian jiu-jitsu's sake and and pretty much anything joe rogan talks about becomes a successful business which might be interesting to discuss with the uh lines of supplements that he's that he's pushing but you know you do have people coming in who that's, they just want to do jiu-jitsu self-defense now. They not, you know, they're not watching MMA. They're not watching that on the weekend. They don't know, you know, it's just like I've heard about this martial art jiu-jitsu and they've got maybe even just the perceptions of what traditional martial arts are, you know, that, that is what most people think of, you know, culturally in martial, of martial arts is, you know, wearing a, a white gi, bowing, doing all that type of stuff. And you can't kind of, they have them come in and, you know, oh, what, no-gi? What, that's, you know, <laughs> see them or, you know, uh, people wrestling in, in, the, in the spandex lacquer and, mm. you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to scare them off. Um, so there is that type of, you know, perception and, and reality that you just got to understand that for people who are not in the sport, you're still got to be aware that they're going to perceive it as difficult and just, I guess, keeping that in mind because it's so easy for us being in the sport, coming from that rugby background of contact sports that like, oh, you just, you know, push them here and whatever. But you understand that still for some people, that first time of pushing someone in the chest might be the first time of yeah. they've touched someone, put they've ever pushed someone in out of anger or not out of, you know, it's just, you just don't know. So I guess it's just knowing that they, they can have that different perspectives. Yeah. I think, you know, I think being, like you said, being a bit, older and wiser in the sport, you know, and you could be 21 and be older and wiser in the sport as well, by mm. the way, it's not just about age, it's about your sort of time and maturity in it as well. I think it's, we have a bit of a duty to look after people coming in. Um, you know, like uh, a couple of weeks ago, I just went back to Jiu-Jitsu a couple of weeks ago and I remember I was rolling with a guy and he was getting really panicky and I just said to him, like when I was rolling with him, I said, listen, man, just chill. I'm not going to hurt mm. you. Like, you know, I'm not... I'm not going to physically hurt you. I'm not going to punch you in the face. Just relax. And his whole body just relaxed. And I was like, you need to get your head, head out of here, put your hand there. Mm. And I just really changed, you know, the experience of, of, of him in, in, the, in the gym. And that happened to me as well when I started by some people. Some people were just like, you know, I'm not going to hit you. Relax. I'm not going to like elbow you in the face. And, you know, and it just really helps to get people into that system. Yeah. But, but on, that, on that point, Sonny, we talk about this kind of divergence of, you know, let's say jujitsu and, 
we'll say for the purpose of the conversation, we've got traditional martial arts and then we mm-hmm. have like, you know, and that'd be karate, taekwondo and so on. And then we have new martial arts, we'll say, well, I wouldn't call them new, but we'll say more, I'd not applied, let's say I call them sure. boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, grappling, whatever it be, wrestling, cat wrestling, jujitsu. Those sports are really starting to kind of move away from the traditional aspects of martial arts in the traditional forms. Like Mm -hmm. you say, no gi, no belts, people all coming in, you know, grappling together, sparring together, and more like a kind of a sink or swim system in some respects to, to some of them. Do you think we're missing some things by moving away from that traditional system or is it part of evolution where we're actually advancing and making it better and leaving those maybe what could be perceived as archaic practices behind such as belts and bowing and systems and structure? Yeah. Yeah. A really good question. Uh, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently and just wondering where it kind of does all fit in because there's no doubt that the evolution to, to you know, remove those those parts out of it, and I should say, I guess the traditional martial arts, what really defined them as being archaic, was that they were not testing their their techniques against unresisting opponents. Yeah, that's that's really what it comes down to. They would come up with the idea for techniques in you know in their head. They'd muck around with it themselves, and or and then, you know, try it out. And then that's all they'd ever do. They'd never go get someone who didn't know what they were doing and say, now try and get us, you know, hundred percent don't hold back. Um, and even worse, some of the other, some of the martial arts would be like, oh no, these were perfected on the battlefield such and such many, many moons ago. And th- that's why we do these techniques because they were tested decade, generations ago, and we're not going to change them. And it was kind of that fundamentalist dogma, I guess, that, you know, that's the, the, of the traditionalists that assured that the techniques, they weren't going to work. They weren't going to update. You know, we know now in jujitsu how quickly things have to change as people modify and learn new information. If you've based your entire skill set on things that worked a hundred years ago, it's going to very quickly become unusable or just it's, it's a, it's a relic. So now this was wrapped up obviously in a lot of the philosophy side of things where of course, if you're not actually fighting people, what do you do? You've got a lot of time mm-hmm. to talk, sit around and talk about what fighting means and, and, you know, so there was that kind of element that maybe was lost when people started moving, you know, UFC comes along, Valet Tudor comes along where they started mixing the styles together in full contact sport unresisting opponents and were able to see what the, you know, see what the results were. You could say it's definitely, you know, they're running scientific experiments in a controlled octagon environment mm. of a Petri dish and seeing, well, what happens if you do this and you do this karate guy versus boxing guy. Okay. And they've been doing that for 20 years now. And you can see that the techniques that work have kind of risen to the top and, you know, techniques that haven't have been discarded. And the offshoot of that, though, is, well, what can be discarded? Well, a lot of this, the other things that can be discarded, well, a lot of, you know, who we don't really need the philosophy side or the, you know, any kind of, any, any of that side if we just want to win fights, if we just want to be a prize fighter, that's 
is that going to help us? Maybe not. It's not, it's not necessary. I, you know, I'd like to put forward an argument that guys like George St. Pierre who did retain that image, you know, they're, they're what we want to be. But then if you just look at pure dollars and cents, no, you, you don't need that. It seems like, so it's, it has been discarded. It seems, but I think there is, it is missing the point. It's throwing the baby out with the bathwater with that. I know there's some, uh, the some studies have looked at, you know, martial arts for helping, you know, rehabilitation of teen offenders or things. And if it's just the combat sports, it's not as effective as if there's, you know, the combat sports with a little bit of the traditional elements included in, included within it. So I think there is that undeniably that benefit of including it in how that should be get put back in or what should, what should be done done about that? It's very interesting because of course a lot of that stuff is, I can't just go in how it was because it was all associated with a, with a dogma, with a, you know, strong, strict hierarchy that then leads mm-hmm. to people abusing it. And, you know, there's lots of bad, there's lots of negatives to that kind of uh, practice as well. So I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting one, you know, because I, I think that there is a place for traditional martial arts. I think some people, um, and I'll probably reflect on my own self, I think young men need structure, discipline, mm-hmm something to there's benefits of that traditional style where you're working through belts you're achieving something you get a chance to be a leader you get a chance to develop your skills and so on i think that's that that can be very helpful but i think you're right as well it's open to abuse of power it's open to you know people of higher levels using lower belts to coach and run a gym or do Mm -hmm. free stuff for them all in the kind of the guise of and i'm using inverted commas here in the air you know developing your coaching methodology which is, I think, it's mm. bullshit. It's just free labor. Um, so you have that happening as well. But I think also as well, there is something about the discipline in traditional martial arts that we can, that can help frame our life around, you know, training every day, refining a practice, not looking for instant gratification and mm. so on. I think they're all beneficial. And that's probably easy in my 40s to look back and say that, whereas when I was younger, I was probably like, oh, I just want to be a black belt, you know? Um, which is interesting too, because the closer you, the closer I get the black, the further I want to be away from it now. Like I said to somebody last week, shit, man, I wish I was a blue belt again. I wish I was blue belt one stripe because it's a lot of pressure. Everyone start gunning for you. And, you yeah, know, get on. At our gym, there's about 25 or 26 brown belts yeah. at the moment. And all probably, you know, being brown belts for a few years and all sort of, a lot of them are actually late 30s, early 40s. And we're all like, we don't want a brow, we don't want a black belt. Nobody wants a black belt. <laughs> because even as a brown belt, people are trying to take your head off. So as a black belt, <laughs> like people come in and probably shoot you. you know? it's like, we don't want that to happen. You know? That's for you, it's just any other Tuesday. <laughs> and for the blue belt you're rolling with, it's his night that he's yeah. gonna get you. Yeah, you yeah. know, this is the moment yeah. he's gonna tap that black belt. Yeah. But I remember like saying this to, to live last week, live giants. I remember like the first time I as a blue belt. The first time I tapped the black belt as a blue belt, I nearly fuck. I nearly passed out. I was That's like, it. I can't believe it. That's it. I know. I know it's that, that way because I was that blue belt once too. You know, I remember yeah. thinking, oh, this is, this. yeah, he's, looks like he's had a big weekend. I might be able to catch him. <laughs> yeah, I nearly passed out. It was great. Yeah, but uh, it is pretty interesting. But like, um, like we said when we talk about the difference between traditional and new martial arts, there's obviously in the new martial arts was already applied. Like you said, that rate of change, that kind of kaizen philosophy that small incremental improvements being mm. built back into the system and the rate of improvement is crazy it's it's really interesting to watch and it's um 
it's interesting to see how it evolves so quickly. But one of the things, Sonny, that I probably don't like about the more applied martial arts that, I, that I'm seeing at the moment is, and I was talking to a few of the guys last week about this on the mat, is if me and you, Sonny, go down to play soccer on the weekend, we don't have any expectation that we're going to be playing for AC Milan or Real Madrid or the Galaxy at LA in two weeks' time or next year. Yeah, but A lot of guys in jiu-jitsu seem to have, even just in local gyms, mm. say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the Worlds next year. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go to, you know, LA and yeah. do this. I'm going to, you know, try and do this. And I'm going to go for ADCC. And why do you think we don't have a kind of a... It seems like in jiu-jitsu you can't just be... A hobbyist. When I look at a sport, I'd look at it as being like an, an athlete, as in, in terms of nearly professional or a serious amateur or a pro- yep. professional at one end of the spectrum, amateur in the middle, and hobbyist down the other end. I would classify myself as a hobbyist in jiu-jitsu. Go in two yep. times a week, maybe three, because I do other stuff as well. Have a few rolls, have a laugh, fall out the door, relax. It's like the equivalent of me going to a nightclub these days. <laughs> so, um you know, I'm, I'm there for other reasons. But why do you think it is we can't do that these days? Like, people are so... Yeah. You go to some gyms, and it's, some gyms and it's so serious, like competition training. People screaming and roaring about competitions, and we need to get around in. And you look around, and you go, fucking none of us are going to a comp, man. We're all in our 40s here for lunchtime. <laughs> like, what, why do you think that is? Yeah, it's... Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's another thing that's it's kind of difficult to balance. But I definitely the thing... That, the reason why that would be more prevalent is because well, especially with the worlds one, it's possible because anyone can go to the worlds. If you just buy <laughs> yeah. the ticket, yeah, it's yeah. not like other sports where you have to earn your right to it. You buy the plane ticket and you enter and anyone can go into the worlds. There's something cool about that in that you can legitimately just go into a competition and come up against last year's world champion and have a, have a chance to go up against it. It's not undeniably that's, there's some beauty in that, but also it's not like other, it's not like, it's not like other sports where that is impossible and maybe it should be impossible. Sometimes when you see some of these matches, when they get absolutely <laughs> squashed, yeah. but I think the other thing is that just that possibility is does because there's not the amount of numbers in the sport and it is such a growing sport that it can be seen as as being possible to actually do it. Um, that's going to draw some people towards it. The nature of it being somewhat a, you know, somewhat a unique, uh, like a unique individual sport too, where they can get on the stage certainly, certainly helps from like social media marketing perspective. Um, you know, I don't, I certainly, maybe it's the circles I'm running in, but it actually probably is, but I don't see people posting up lots of photos of themselves, selfies after they finish rugby training, right? I don't know. Maybe you would know better than me on that, right? Because you're in the, you've been coaching the rugby, but I don't see it. And, but certainly like I did one the other day from, it's like, it's the done thing for uh if you're doing jujitsu right yeah yeah so they i don't know i don't know what that is but that's part of the culture right it's kind of like no one wants to just train quietly because we are in kind of a competition you know competition it's not by nature it's a competitive sport that people will attach part of their identity to because whether you can fight or not that's part of who you are you know if you you know there's it's it's, there's something more connected to it to your identity than if you can sh- 
sink a basketball in or not. It's like fighting, fighting. There's something more to it, you know. It's something that says something about your character. So more you know? primal about, you know, showing the world like you're tough, you know. Exactly, yeah. exactly, you know. And so it's gonna draw, it's gonna draw that element out of people and people who want to express that element. For instance. You know, signing up to the gym for some people is the equivalent of getting the tattoo. You know, they get the tattoos and they get the uh, UFC gym membership as kind of the outward signifiers that that they're tough. No one like, I'm sure like people playing A-grade rugby are probably just as tough, you know, the training, but no one's just like, no one now is like joining the local you know, Marlins rugby gym or, you know, Forestville Ferrets rugby gym just to boast on social media what a tough guy they are, you know, but by legitimately, like, yeah, they're probably, you know, in terms of the loose definition of toughness, they would be, but it's got to be the fight. That's, you know, it's got to be punching on and it's got to be having a swing. It's got to be cranking, cranking necks, ripping arms. That's the tough, you know. So it it will draw those people, I guess, naturally towards it. And then, like, it's just the... Yeah. And then I think that, you know, and it is there just, so it's going to draw those people. It's going to draw the naturally competitive people. And then for the fact that there is, it is still possible for someone to do that, for someone to pick up the sport and have a pretty decent run, you know, in five year time, whereas like soccer or any other sport that's pretty much unheard of, you know, that you haven't been doing this sport your entire life Mm. to make it into the big leagues. But like especially with especially at that stage with the UFC, you can you can pick up the sport and then maybe you I could see you in the UFC in five years. It's entirely possible. Um, well, thanks, Sonny. I'm glad you think that highly of me. Hy- hypothetically, you know, oh, some <laughs> some uh, let's let's put some you know <laughs> someone who's somewhat athletically gifted, maybe oh, did yeah. gymnastics in, the, in their youth oh, yeah. or something. You know, uh, twenty years younger. Or, uh, I was hoping maybe by the age of forty, yeah, I could be in the UFC, yeah, but obviously yeah, not. Yeah. Yeah. Just um, my dream there, Sonny, you know, because I wanted to go around <laughs> and tell everybody that I do UFC. I do UFC. <laughs> It's good, man. I, <laughs> you know, and but yeah. So it is. It is possible. So it is going to get those people like drawing towards it. And then there, there is this idea that, of course, especially in jujitsu, that I don't know that you can just make your money off sponsors, and it's very weird. Like that. I know some people who think like the sponsorships are kind of a big deal, and I don't know. Maybe if I've never heard of any jujitsu sponsorships paying people money. Um, like on the local level, obviously, I'm sure the world champs do get it, but it's like, from, from what I hear, it's always like a free shirt and a tub of protein powder. <laughs> and okay, cool. I'm glad you got it. I'm glad that's cool. But um, it, it's kind of, I think, runs off the impression that there's more to it than, yeah. a, you know, than a shirt or something. Um, unless I've been completely ignorant and have, and I'm not being monetizing myself very well. Oh no, I think I think you're completely wrong there. If you ask Lachlan Giles, he's making four million a year off uh, MA One apparel. So Craig Jones, yeah, Craig Jones, I think he's up to seven or eight million a year now. There you go, there you go. So I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm off, I'm off the mark on that. Yeah, I just thought I'd try a bit of fake news there. Yeah, it's probably way more than that. <laughs> Might be rivaling Rogan's Spotify deal. <laughs> but Sonny, as we, as we as as the sport evolves in the, in the sort of the you know 
in jiu-jitsu, MMA, Muay Thai, boxing, all these things, do you think there is a is a need maybe to start splitting people out into those people who want to be competitors, athletes, as opposed to those who want to be just hobbyists? Because I think, I feel like some people might get thrown off by the yeah. whole competition thing and feel like they have to compete or feel like they have to be something. Whereas mm. it can be hard for people to kind of, you know, to use a nice, nice word, parse out the difference between them. Like where... We're uh, see. Like I remember one guy coming to me and going, do, "Do I have to go on that competition on the weekend? I've only been here a few weeks." I'm like, "Man, you do whatever you want to do. You want to go on yeah. the comp, go on the comp. You want to stay at home and scratch your nuts, do that." I said, "Yeah." There is no expect. Oh, but keep talking about competition. Everybody keeps talking about competition. I'm like, "You do what you feel comfortable with." Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that reminds me. I got to tell because, like, I've obviously I'm very competitive, and I used to, you know, I used to. I love going in competitions, but I would never force anyone to to do it um even though i have the belief that everyone should compete just at least once you know just to really feel it but there's no expectations that they should do it i think to get to your question the idea that yeah that they will need to be some kind of separation something will will i think it's kind of inevitable but it won't be driven from the uh from the organizations who are currently running the competitions because it's they just want as many competitors in as possible yeah uh, so like for them there's no reason for it to change but you know as well as i that you would see people who well maybe they would enjoy competing but they're coming two or three times a week and they're matched up against the you know 23 year old uh you know dreams of turning pro training five times a day and they're seen as just being in the same category and clearly they're not and they might, you know, they have the bad experience and then that's it. They're not, they're not going to compete again. It wasn't fun. They paid a lot of money for it. Why would you go and do it again unless you've, you know, unless you're like like me and you've got a problem going trying to prove something to people, you know? <laughs> but if, you, if you're normal, you're probably going to go, I'd rather go to the beach or see a movie on the weekend, you know? you know? But it's that's certainly not how it could be. So actually my uh, my coach, we ran off with our affiliation with the Machado New South Wales. They did a, like a little comp with that in mind last year where it was just like different rule set, you know, kind of much more laid back. The I Pretty much the idea of being a much more friendly, you know, just like team meet, everyone's having a good time. Yeah. Competing. There's no big, you know, things... There's no crazy, you know, we're matching you up on, you know, just on who we think's good. There's nothing too crazy here where Jimmy, the next world champ's going to get matched up with with Johnny, giving it a shot because he's, you know, got a voucher for Christmas or something. It's, you know, and it, I, I would say, I would summarize it as the, f- the goal was to leave people with a feeling of this was a good day of fun competition than trying to filter out the most, competitive person shall we say and that and that actually really worked and they'll do one again this year and i think i don't know how you scale that up but or if even if it's even possible but it it really worked and i think that is so important um because at the end of the day while it's great that we're filtering out the best techniques and best competitors and best you know most dedicated athletes you want people to be able to it's how they feel about the sport is just as important and you want people to have a good time and enjoy themselves doing it and you can't let that uh that be forgotten as well so sonny recently you've been studying to be a school teacher yeah and you've also been coaching martial arts yeah how do you how do you 
how do you feel? Are you teaching now? Are you teaching high school? Not right at not right at the moment. Um, but we've I finished finished my degree, but then COVID kind of uh, took me took yeah. me uh, in a different direction. So, do you feel like your coaching has influenced your teaching, and has your teaching skills influenced your coaching? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the the teaching influenced coaching. I'd say more than coaching influence teaching because I guess with the, with the coaching side, it's like, if, if anything, it's like I'm asking so much more of people in martial arts coaching where it's like, okay, you know, cranking on people's necks, move this around. And it's like, oh, man, I'm just asking you, um, let's just kick the ball for 20 minutes. Come on guys. Come yeah, on, yeah. come on, come on. And when people come to see you for martial arts, they want to be there is like that's that's the biggest thing people are turning up they want to be there um whereas that's not general that's not always the case at at school where you have to be grabbing their attention with all sorts of you know ways to present present your lesson plan and everything like that whereas everyone there is paying attention or at least they're polite enough at martial arts gym not to not to distract people if they're not if they're not paying attention. Uh, but definitely the, you know, there's so much that can be used from teaching in martial arts that's currently not, um, that that's where actually I think there's a lot of room for, for, you know, different exploration, different, different areas of, to see what can happen. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of something that I'm, that I'm playing around with now just to see where we can, where it can, where we can take it. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to Sonny when you're teaching and some smart ass kid comes in. Because how old are you now, Sonny? What are you, 39, 40? 30? Yeah, hey, 30, fuck, 38? 38. Fuck, am I? Let me check. No, 36, I think. Oh, I thought you were older than that. Oh, I don't know. I don't, I, I try and, I'm at the stage now where I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, eh. Try being 42. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> um, so, anyway. People might come in to, to, into your uh, classroom and they might be like, yeah. oh, this dude, you know, he's uh, he he's got the, he's got his hair slicked back there. He thinks it's all cool. He's a forty year old man. I'd punch his head in. Yeah, and look you up on topology. It'll be um, it'll be very interesting to see how how that behavior goes on. I think you should just walk around with a shirt on. That on the front goes, hi, I'm Mr. Brown. And on the back has your MMA record. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Well, that's all right. They can do that. Or we have a, um, you know, I put the belts up on the side of the wall and, that, you know, <laughs> with the c- complaints department over the top, you know. But it's actually, it's funny because I was wondering, like I've there was a case where I, I put I put my highlights real video on for the class because I was just like, you know, it was, it was, a, it was, a, everyone was mucking up that day. It was raining. There was the streets had shut down. The um, they'd got test results back, and so it was just bonkers. And I was yeah. like, you know what? I've been thinking about. I wonder what this would do. Now's the time to try it. So you know, I was, I was just all going bonkers. I put it on. They all went quiet, and they were like, "What? What? Well, what? Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, all right. That was, you know, okay, that worked. That was all right." But then, and so that that time it worked. And then there was another. T- so I was like, "Oh, that's the tool. You know, that's the tool. <laughs> trick up the bag." You know? When you finished it, when you finished the highlight reel, did you go? Did you stand up and go? Whoa, what's up, motherfuckers? Now, what's <laughs> yeah. up? What's up? Did you do that? <laughs> just the, Kenny Powers, just like that's right. I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> Quiet, you know. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but then I remember. Then I did it another time, and I remember thinking, you know what? 
I'm not, this is going to be the last time because I could just sense the vibe that, you know, I'm, it actually, it, it's not going to work every time. And in fact, it's going to force someone to come challenge me. You know, <laughs> if I do, if I talk about, yeah, yeah, fighting this, fighting that, one of the, you know, one of these days, one of those kids is going to hop up and go, oh, you know, I'll, free, I'll take you on. And knowing that you're legally not allowed to, you know, yeah, yeah. you just have to back down. They know they'll, they'll have you in a corner and, and just by even bringing it up, you've kind of escalated it to that point. So I'm just like, you know what? I can't. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to see one of the parents come in give yeah. out your head, smack you and see what happens then. Well, that's the only, I mean, that's part of the reason why I got into martial arts. I think to begin with is like dealing with people in customer service situations <laughs> and being like a bit worried about like, Oh, this guy is pretty big and he's angry. Well, you know, what could happen here? But now I was like, yeah, no, I'm not worried at all. Please. I would enjoy the chance to uh, practice my art on a resisting opponent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the live demonstration. Yeah, exactly. So the last area I want to talk to you is actually linked to what we were just speaking about in terms of coaching and teaching and that kind of crossover. Mm. We see a lot of, um, you know, black belts who are really good at jujitsu obviously get their black belt, right? Mm -hmm. So getting, being very good at a skill doesn't mean you're a good coach or a good teacher. We see this yep. in industry as well. You might be a great plumber, but you're, you know, a poor supervisor. Mm -hmm. We also see as well, probably um, something that I think actually PhDs are guilty of which is we see someone gets a black belt uh, and in jiu-jitsu gets the title of professor, <laughs> which I think is hilarious, but anyway, um, and then seems to pontificate, educate, you know, rant about things that they have no idea about. And I see this with some other PhDs actually as well, where people may have a PhD in, you know, physics, and then they start talking about medical sciences or mm -hmm. vice versa, a medical doctor, who, talking about economics it's like mm. hold on like you're, you're completely outside of your wheelhouse here um but in jiu-jitsu we see a lot of this happening now i'm not going to pick on anybody but i will we see like things like eddie bravo's 10 planet you know this kind of culty behavior around smoking weed the earth is flat everybody's out to get us whatever it might be and i just kind of laugh at that and go fucking teach me jiu-jitsu you know and yeah, yeah. get on with it and so when black belt start this kind of pontificating or philosophy and i've been to a couple of seminars where people have stood up and started going on for 10 minutes about oh yeah you know uh the marshmallow experiment or instant gratification or uh the prince and machiavellian and asking yeah. people do they understand the difference between greek philosophy and i'm just like oh really are we here for this because i just can't do it you know and i and i wonder where where this has stemmed from is it endemic to all martial arts or just jujitsu or you know why do you, I suppose, two parts of that question is, yeah. why do you think that has happened? And secondly, do you think we need some sort of like nearly train to trainer program for coaches, would it, you know, yeah. within the system? Yeah, well, yeah, I think you probably do. But then the question is, who's going who's gonna to run that with such a, <laughs> and, and it probably comes back to, yeah, links, I mean, it really everything we're talking about, which is that element of hierarchy. So I think there probably was, you know, the element in traditional martial arts where there is such a strong hierarchy of you don't disrespect your, you know, master or something, which is a legitimate title that some martial arts will give their teachers, which... <laughs> I couldn't, I just, I mean, the odd, the occasional person calling me professor is enough to bug me. Uh, but yeah, master would just, no, 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 let's, let's put a stop to that quick. Um, and so there, there, there was always that element, right? But now I think with jujitsu, 
it's, it's, it would have attracted, look, it was, you know, it was a fringe sport. So the people who are, who have got their black belts now and have been doing it for a while probably were, you know, have come somewhat outsiders to begin with. And I think, you know, even more so, you might have to have it be, you know, prone to a bit of, you know, counterculture or, you know, somewhat, let, you know, out of the box thinking to even consider this as a good sport to, to do. If you've been tuning into the Joe Rogan experience and, you know, and that was your uh, inspiration to start, even that you probably heard a couple of stranger ideas. So even in its mainstream acceptability, it's coming from the, the stoner bro culture. Well, that's so, crazy, Sonny. You should smoke marijuana, do DMT and mushrooms and work out four times a day, kettlebells and hot yoga. That's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. Solve problem solve. I would, you know, that'd be great if you uh, and I'd recommend that lifestyle for people who also have successfully had previous, um, you know, show pilots and already have a very successful career um, and can afford to do that stuff. But um, it's great. But, <laughs> but for the rest of us, it might be who have to know, eat shit for a living. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great just just work harder just work yeah. harder yeah write um, down your goals <laughs> write down your goals exactly same to yourself in the morning it'll be fine it'll all work out eventually secret yes yes so so there's those it would have been those type of people being drawn to it to begin with and then look i think on top of so you've got the that being drawn to it you've got people who are if they're running their own school they're surrounded by those they've got no one to answer to which yeah. is kind of what they you know their goal is no one they don't have to put up with as everyone knows who's worked in a corporate um culture your boss is saying something that you disagree with and you know what you don't need this battle you're just gonna <laughs> yeah yeah you're just uh yeah okay yeah yeah that's interesting yeah yeah okay, you're just gonna eat yeah. your shit for today and move on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. great you know yeah. you don't need that headache yeah and you know, that and some of these gyms, I'm sure that's the people underneath them doing the same thing. So, but, the, you know, if you're just doing jujitsu and that's, you know, you've got, you've got yourself to a point where you don't have, to, you know, you're not experiencing that. And then I think, so it's those two things combined. Uh, then you, you could also make the argument, I'm not going to, that maybe, uh, I'll, I'll even leave that one out, that maybe if you were... I'll, I'll say what this is actually an argument Rob Bernanke made that if you were, uh, if you were, more, if you did have a, an education in other fields, maybe you wouldn't be teaching jujitsu. So it tends to attract people who may not have gone through a, uh, you know, don't know. I'll just, just Rob Bernanke said it, not me, but that's another. Yeah, yeah. Well, a perfect example of that, like, is Lachlan Giles, you know? Yeah. Well, well, PhD in physiotherapy, but obviously he's got no other education, so he just teaches jujitsu. That's a great insult there for Lockdown. Well, that's like just messaging. I know, that's right. I, I should have, you know, I got to get my, let's just say, Robin Naki called it is that there is a large a confederacy of dunces in the jujitsu community, which, hey, True or not, it's a great line. I'll just say that. But I will stand by the first two things I said. And then the third thing, which is probably the biggest thing, is just the – there's a lot of more, more of that thinking going on in general in society as a whole yeah, these yeah. days, which I think is the main driver. And it's just it's just gets reflected through maybe as a – you know, these, these people who are, were more out-of-the-box thinkers to begin with who don't have to censor themselves or – just they're not used to putting up with with that kind of hierarchy so they're just hey i'm reading this stuff and this seems like the truth i'm i'm just telling people what what it is and it's it is all from the amount of 
the amount of fake news, even that term, like mm-hmm. really the thing that disturbs me today is this QAnon conspiracy that's going around that seems to be the driver for so many different beliefs that it's just I'm very disturbed where this thing could go into into the future because it's not like any conspiracy theory we've ever seen before like i in my bookshelf behind i've got some of the uh old conspiracy theory books that you know i bought from some guy down on the it was selling it on a table down in bondi and you know along with pamphlets of why we should not pay taxes you know and they've but those the old conspiracies were kind of self-contained within that book yeah yeah but whereas this new one that's online this QAnon, it kind of there's it's self-evolving or like self, self-transforming that it's constantly changing and updating and there's never anything set in stone that ever, that ever has to be tested because, you know, provably wrong or right. So it allows people to continually believe in, in it. And, and it's, you know, just made up of whatever people want. And this, I mean, I'll, maybe I'll finish on this, this idea of do your own research like and it's which you know really kind of means read your own crappy article or watch your own crappy YouTube video that someone else put together. Yeah. Kind of seems like a benign thing that, you know, well, these people actually think it's real research, but we know that it's, you know, other people look at it like it's not real research. But what it really is, I, I when people say do your own research, it's like hypnotize yourself. That's what they're saying. They're saying, no, no. I can't tell you because as much as I tell you, it's not going to convince you. But if you get into the mind state that what you're reading is legitimate, then w- there's enough information out there that you can f- convince yourself, hypnotize yourself into believing that this is 100% tr- true. And at that point, if you've done it yourself, it's so much more convincing than if someone else told you what to believe because these people don't they were not told to believe this conspiracy theory now they can't they figured it out themselves every one of them they did their own research and they came to the understanding on their own and that makes it so much more powerful to them mm. and that's i think it's a uh, yeah that's a real problem i'm worried <laughs> so, yeah, got- so Sonia, i think that's interesting you talk about about you know conspiracy theories and and stuff on the internet as well and how it grows and in actual fact that's a nice segue into a next episode because next week after speaking to you i will be talking to uh, a member of parliament (laughs) so talk about talk about the juxtaposition and our guests here on media's performance podcast Mm. and one of the things i'm going to be talking about is why do why has fake news been so prevalent if you want to use that term but more importantly why do people want to have these conspiracies and not you know believe in science or put any faith in the scientific process you know mm. um we've spoken about that in other podcasts as well i think it's i think it's worrying actually as a society that we don't Very have a, a framework to, to follow in terms of of evidence you know and people can just randomly throw around stuff and we see this in the election at the moment in the u.s so yeah um that's a rabbit hole i don't want to slide into now so yeah yeah <laughs> so no, yeah people far more qualified than <laughs> me to, to rant about it i tell you but uh, yeah it's, it is um oh, man it's i don't i'm, I'm worried but it's just it's, very it's very strange time. yeah yeah it's but, a weird yeah. time but like you say you know if you if you uh work out every day take dmt smoke weed do hot yoga live kettlebells take supplements and um get sleeve tats you should be okay <laughs>
that's pretty much the uh, the cure all for whatever whatever ails you and CBD oil <laughs> and CBD oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody should be smoking marijuana, even if you know, even if the iron site causes. Um, <laughs> so, for people who want to follow your work and get more into it, um, we've only touched on some of the the high level things that you you know you talk about or show Just- on your on your uh, on your stuff just high level just high level stuff but <laughs> well, we haven't mate. we haven't gone down into rabbit holes of stuff we just kind of glanced over the top um you know but you've got you know you've got the the youtube channel you've got the instagram yeah. what other resources can people hit you up on how do they so, get you? so the uh sunnybrown.net is the website s-o-n-n-y-b-r-o-w-n.net and that will have links to everything from there but on the the youtube channel i've got different breakdowns of uh certain you know mixed martial arts mainly uh fighters and looking at how they've you know the techniques have come together and then the podcast sunnybrownbreakdown.com uh that is, I mean, yeah, you got to be kind of interested in obviously martial arts as well to, to dig that. But that's just a lot of different coaches and athletes. And say, well, you know, Alexander Volkanovsky, UFC middleweight champ. Uh, I had a chat with him. Middleweight, middleweight champ. He's gone. He's gone up four divisions. That's, really. that's where he started. Sorry, sorry. See, <laughs> see, he's stuck in. He's stuck in my memory when I first saw him fight. <laughs> How's that for a save? <laughs> <laughs> Featherweight champ. <laughs> Featherweight. Uh, you know, so this, this if you, that's what you're into. And then Instagram, I don't know what I'm doing there at the moment. Just like quotes and art, which is whatever seems to, seems to like uh, Instagram. at Sunny Bear Breakdown on that as well. That's uh, very good. And don't worry, Sonny, I say lots of stuff that's incorrect on this podcast the whole time. I even <laughs> say things incorrect to my wife. And uh, she says, you said that, did I? No, I said this. Well, it sounded like this. I'm like, yeah, okay. Have you seen that episode of Black Mirror where they have the little camera in the eye? Oh yeah, and to record things, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I need. But and but but the problem is that when I play it back, I'd always be wrong. <laughs> the accuracy, the accuracy, the accuracy of detecting what I said incorrect would be ninety nine point nine percent. So I'd actually end up just like I, I think I would drive myself insane because I have I'm convinced I say things. Eventually, you want to check the tape, and you're like, no, why not? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> excellent Sonny thanks very much for your time yeah, I no really problem. appreciate it Matt um, yeah so head over there and check out Sonny Brown Breakdown um, at sonnybrown.net um, or on Facebook on YouTube excellent breakdowns here um, thanks Ian so, thanks yeah. Ian yeah. and I'll finish off just saying one <clears throat> one thing that uh, that actually that you know when we were hanging out when we were hanging out at the uh, at the camp was, I was told never to tell you this as well but you know oh, really this is, this is the time this is the time I oh god well, I, I gotta sit up straight listen yeah, to this yeah, yeah, this yeah, could yeah. be an insult no, insult or um it uh, could be one. a compliment it's, it's a good one it's a good what one what are you so, gonna tell me we're all, I might we're just stop the recording no 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 you, you want to hear it we're sitting around watching watching you know sitting around together and one of the guys goes you know what I hope when I when I when I get older I'm like Ian I could just you know I'm, I'm an old guy but I can still hang out with the young guys you know <laughs> That's what he said. That's what he said, man. I was like, he's like, he's cool. Cool. You know, I was like, that's a nice thing to say. That was also like, um, what's interesting about that is, I, I, you know, I trained with you guys most of the days and I was on the verge of turning 40 at the time. And, and a lot of the guys, I think the average age was like 24. One of the guys picked me up in, in one of the grappling sessions and just like drilled me into the mat and like really hurt my shoulder. You know, I'd had some issues with my neck previously. And he's like, oh, 
what's wrong, man? What the fuck? What's wrong? I'm like, I'm fucking nearly 40 and you're driving me into the mat. That's what's wrong. <laughs> oh, it's not that bad. You know, I'm like, well, I don't train twice a day. I'm training twice a day with you guys. You know, you're like 10 kilos heavier than me. It's like, oh, like, what the fuck? Like, what do, you, what do you want me to do? Like, I'm not a professional fighter. I'm, I'm part of the research staff. I'm not, in, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not actually a subject in here. I'm not like, a, I'm not trying to go a pro, you know? Like, and he just kind of looked at me as if like, what do you mean? And I was just like, yeah, like, how old's your dad? 44? I'm like, you nearly know, your dad. Like, relax, man. You know? So, yeah. No, it was good fun. It was uh, it was good fun. I was pretty tired at the end, but it was it was good fun. Oh. I was pretty sore as well. Happy days. Happy days. Well, there yeah. you go, mate. There you go. A little peek behind the curtain. Oh, God. Uh, it's great. Insider knowledge. Thanks, Sonny. <laughs> Take it easy, mate. Take back. We are the reason opposites attract. Once you slam the door on the second floor, I regret it all. When I think it through, I can help the way I feel for you. Mm-hmm. You make me lose my mind like all the time. It still feels right. Stuck in an endless fight like every night. It still feels right. Until we're fine You've been in bed for days Empty without me, you say Can't you just magically turn up in mine? Then you knock on my door On the second floor And I feel okay You just made it through And I love the way I feel for you mm, baby You make me lose my mind Get it right, but it's dead.